0: Her parents were abusive, I guess. I mean, my, my, my grandfather sexually abused me, but I didn't remember it until I was 37. And my grandmother was cold and she didn't like me because I looked like my dad and she would say so.
1: Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect Souls And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. What happens to a child who endures sexual abuse at the hands of a family member? What happens when complete dysfunction is your normal? I invite you to hear Jessica Mraz speaking about her extremely tough, challenging and complex childhood, which resulted in Jessica's adult search for answers and a deep need to heal and find self-worth and self-love from the broken pieces of a fractured childhood. Jessica is a strong woman who is not afraid to share her story. Please join me in hearing it. Hi, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me to discuss your experiences of growing up. Your story has many parts to it, but let's just start with a little bit about where you grew up and who was in your family.
0: Okay, Um, so I was born in Indiana and um, Midwest and we, my parents were young. My dad was in the Navy. So we moved to California when I was a baby. And we lived there for a couple of years and then we moved to Texas. We moved a lot. And then um, I lived there till I was six. And then I moved to Indiana to live with my mom's parents um, until she could get on her feet because my dad decided to, he decided that he you know, didn't want a family anymore. So, so we moved to Indiana and that's where I lived up until five years ago when oh, I moved nice. to Florida. But um, so I grew up in Indiana. And, um, mostly with my mother and my mother was pretty growing up with her was pretty chaotic because, um, when we moved from Texas to Indiana, we lived with her parents for a short time. And then we, we lived on our own in lots of trailer parks (laughs) and, um, her parents were abusive i guess i mean my my father my grandfather sexually abused me but i didn't remember it until i was 37 he came back um and my grandmother was cold and she didn't like me because i looked like my dad and she would say so and i remember one day you know my mom and her arguing about it and you know that's a good memory though that my mom stood up for me that day and said you know quit taking it out on her that she looks like Rex. But I remember them fighting and I feeling like it was my fault because they were doing it in front of me. It was, we were sitting at McDonald's and the two of them were crying. They were fighting and yelling at each other. And then they were both crying. And I just remember thinking it was my fault, you know?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So, um, so yeah, so I never felt comfortable. I never felt safe. Um, My mom dated a lot. A lot of guys in and out. Um, <clears throat> my grandparents did, they ended up dying when I was eight and nine years old. And I hate to say it, it sounds terrible, but it was kind of, kind of a blessing in a way, because they were really, I hated, I hated their house. I hated being around them. And so not that I would, I, I didn't feel happy that they died or anything like that. I, I was kind of indifferent, you know, I didn't really feel anything. Yeah. Um, because I had no bond, there was no bond with my grandmother, and then with my grandfather, he abused me. So, um, so we moved a lot. That was hard. I I had a hard time connecting to peers. When I look back now, um, I didn't really have friends until I got to maybe like, probably like fifth grade. This when I remember having mem- real memories of friends and yeah. But I think that I think that when you're the big thing is that, that I want to, the reason I started this is because I want women to know all of that's normal. Like not connecting to your peers is normal. Um, maybe not being able to pay attention because you're, how do you pay attention when you're up all night? You know, when yeah. you're, you're not getting good rest or, um, you're, you're afraid that the heat's going to be turned off you know because mom didn't pay the bill because she didn't have enough money or mom's upset so you're so worried about mom being upset that you're you're it's hard to focus at, yeah. on, on school you know what i mean and so it's really important that kids don't get burdened with adult problems you know yeah. mm. so that's one thing but um but i also want women to know when they have grown up like this that it affects you and it doesn't matter if someone else went through something worse, it affects them too. Um, it doesn't have any less of an effect on you. Do you know what I'm saying? Just because yeah. I think we do that a lot. We do that a lot. We say, oh, well, you know, they had it worse. And I did that for a time. But it still impacts your biology, your physiology, your mind-body connection. Um, and so it's still it's still important. You know, it's still important to understand. And I think that a lot of women, especially the way that I grew up feeling I felt very unseen and very much a burden and very much like my needs. I shouldn't have needs. Having needs was wrong and bad. And I just felt in the way and I just was very meek and mild. And I don't think that's my natural temperament. I think that that was just, you know, the conditions that I grew up in. I always felt like a problem. So like with my you know i my grandmother she asked me if I wanted something I'd be like no I'm good if I went to someone's house do you want a cookie you want a drink no I'm fine
1: because yeah.
0: I didn't want to be an inconvenience you know yeah yes go ahead sorry
1: I was just going to say you learn to play small don't you because you're not in you feel so yeah. unimportant you don't want to you don't want to impose on people you just kind of make yourself smaller Yes. And
0: I think that's so true. And, and I think a lot of women do that. And then if we can recognize that these patterns often start in childhood, then we can start to break down the pattern. Do you know what I mean? We can start, it's like trying to um, solve a problem. You have to, you have to get to the root of the problem. You know what I mean? Mm. so will willpower only gets you so far, you know, you can say I'm going to do better. I'm not going to beat myself up, but if you don't get to the root of the problem, the foundation, it's really not going to make a significant impact.
1: Yeah. So, so with your mom growing up, it was mainly the two of you. What was your relationship like with her? You obviously, it sounds as if you were, it wasn't like an easy relationship.
0: So I, I did have a younger brother. Um, he was about four years younger, and um, I, I felt very maternal towards him, you know, growing up. Um, the relationship with my mother, I would say she put a lot of responsibility on me, being the oldest, and very little on him, and it shows, you know, it showed, you know, um, because I was like a parentified child, which means, you know, when a parent kind of treats you like an adult, and also... I ended up being very much a pleaser. How do I keep her happy? How do I, she's sad. How do I not, how do I get her to be happy? How do I um, meet her needs? What, What can I do? I was always anticipating, you know, her mood. I could tell by the tone of her voice, what mood she's in and how I need to act in accordance. And so I think that what happens when you do that, when I did that, you don't really identify your own once needs identity. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Your identity yeah. is people pleasing. Your mm-hmm. identity yeah. is, um, my worth, you know, your value. You, and so that's kind of where I ended up. And so I ended up finding friends that were, I was always, you know, just doing what they asked me to do. And yeah, And it took, it took a while to kind of start realizing that I, um, I didn't have to do that anymore. So, yeah it was unstable. I guess it's the best. The relationship with my mother was very unstable and chaotic. So yeah, I loved her. And she had she had good things. I mean, I don't want to say it was all bad. I mean, there were times that were good, but it just was more about what she needed than what I needed.
1: Yeah. So. Okay. And, and, and with your dad, so obviously, it doesn't sound as if you spent um, a lot of time with him. What, what role did he play in your In your child, young childhood? So
0: with my dad, boy, this is just, um, it's tricky, you know, because I have all the feelings towards my dad. I have hatred, I have love, um, and they both coexist together, and at different times, I feel different ways, but um, I've made peace with all of it. Um, He was around until I was six years old, and he played with me, and he I remember going to the beach and, and he was playful and I was on his shoulders and we're feeding seagulls and my mom and brother were there. And it was like the best memory of my childhood. And I remember getting like stung by an octopus and they like went to the store and they were like, uh, looking for something to help me. And that just, even though it hurt like hell, still a great memory because they were both like, they cared at the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. they, They made me feel like I was important And so I bonded with my dad. I did. And I would say more so than I bonded with my mother. And which, which sounds bad to say, but I'm just honoring the way that I feel, you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes the way we feel isn't the way we want to feel. Yeah. And I think sometimes we deny that, but I've gotten past that. You know, I kind of just, there are no bad feelings. You feel what you feel for a reason. And so I think with my dad, he, um, he and I bonded, but he was not a good person. He had had a really um, bad upbringing where he really wasn't, he was neglected. And I have no idea what monstrosities he went through, but I have some idea his dad was, was physically abusive to his mother and his mother was married eight times. So, <laughs> wow!
1: You know, oh my gosh. She, was,
0: she was a mess. And, and by all accounts, she, ha- she was on drugs and she was promiscuous and you know i've i've since found out that she was sexually abused by her father so you know it's the cycle just continues but yeah but i digress so my father and i i bonded with my father and then when at age six when i moved away from him i was devastated because i felt more connected to him than my mother yeah and so um i dreamt about the day that he would come back and fantasized and you know I just didn't understand and so he he did he showed up about a year and a half two years later somewhere in there and he apologized and he was going to be great and you know he was going to be there for us and he was so sorry and then he was there for a few months um he was terrible during the time. I mean, he dropped us off at a friend's house, his friend's house that I didn't know. They fought all night, they got drunk, he left us there. We were little, we didn't know where we were. Um, Picked us up the next morning. You know, he only picked us up basically to show us off to a new woman. And um, I remember being, having these recurring dreams that I'm trying to dial a phone number as an adult. And I couldn't think of it, I couldn't, I didn't know the number. And then it dawned on me one day after, having this dream forever, that that's why, because as a kid, I, I I had the phone, but I didn't know my number. I was still too young. So <clears throat> he would borrow my, I would have a few dollars and he'd take it for gas. I mean, he was just, he was really a bum. He he went AWOL, AWOL from the Navy. So he was never working a real job. He was always painting side jobs. Um, and so But as a child, my, my lens was, I still had hope, you know, I wanted to believe. And so he did this every so often he'd, he'd disappear. He'd come in for a few months. He'd make false promises. um, He'd leave. And he did that pretty much my whole childhood. And we always gave him a chance. And my mom always had hope. I think that he would um, come around And I will say to her credit, she always kind of allowed us to have a relationship with him. I mean, not that she didn't badmouth him at times, but she always was like, that's your dad, you know, and encouraged. And I think that was good that she allowed it. She didn't just prevent Mm -hmm. it. Um, But again, it was a blessing that he wasn't around much because he ended up being um, a really terrible person. Um, And I would say he was a sociopath for sure. I don't yeah. think he ever really had a conscience or really loved me. I don't think that um, he was capable. I think I loved him and I, I mistook the, I, I think like when I was born, I was like a new toy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm, yeah. I was a novelty and I think, you know, he played with me and showed me off and that felt like love to me, but I don't think it was genuine love because as I've learned, you know, from reading and webinars and just education through the years and therapy. And he, he, he meets all the criteria. I mean, he has a long history of doing a lot of terrible things. And um, so, but because of that instability with him, I, I, I went through a promiscuous phase as a teen. And I think that mm-hmm. that's because I was looking for that when you're, when you miss that need, there's still this desire to get that fulfilled somewhere. Yeah. But it's not always a conscious thing. You're not really aware of it. And so, you know, and the reason I wanna talk about this too is that first of all, I don't feel ashamed anymore. There was a time that I did, but when, when girls are behaving that way, that behavior is communication. Yeah. And so they're behaving that way because that's where they feel valued. That's where they're getting their attention. If they're feeling valued for being smart, for being um, kind, you know, they're not going to go out and behave that way. So they, it's a byproduct of what they've been through. And then they go out in the community and they get shamed even more. And that just perpetuates more of the cycle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I think
0: it's really important to understand that a lot of, a lot of these behaviors do not need to be shamed. We need to be taking the time so that they can understand why they're behaving that way and, and give them love and attention in ways that, that are healthy and, you know, contribute to a better lifestyle, you know?
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So by some, by some grace, I mean, I, I, I went through that for about a year and a half and I, I, by my senior year in high school, I thought, you know what? I don't like myself. I don't want to be this person. Like, and I, once I could work and I started exercising, like it just gave me a purpose. And I just couldn't wait to get out of my house. So by some grace and by some grace, I, I, you know, I, I married a really nice guy. You know, I was like, I'm not marrying anybody remotely like my father. So I had kind of figured it out by the time I was, you know, 18, 19. So, you know, I, I was lucky that way, you know, I think there are women that, that for whatever reason I had that head on my shoulders and I, I have so much gratitude for that.
1: Absolutely. So. So when, when you're a small child and there's all these sort of things going on, Was there a lot of confusion for you around it or was it just your normal? That's a good question. Um, I guess I would say a little of both. I think that
0: I always felt out of place. A lot of my mom's family, I I didn't even like them. I I, I couldn't stand being around them. Um, They were scary. They were, I can't even describe fully how unbalanced and unhealthy some of the people in the family were. But Mm -hmm. um, I guess on some level, it seemed normal up until I started to get older and I started to have friends and I did, I luckily my dad's oldest sister, her name is Dee and she, her and her husband, they had three kids they lived in the country and they would like buy a school clothes and we would go to their house and they lived out in the country and they had farm animals and it was a much like more normal stable environment and so i think having that kind of showed me what a little bit more normalcy was i mean i played with my cousins and we had a lot of good times they took us on vacation sometime and so you know, I still, you know, will write her a letter once in a while and say, you know, thank you so much. Like, you don't know how much that meant to me. And um, so, yeah, I think that really helped. I think, and that's one thing, like, I know I've studied this because I, I, I've, for the longest time, I was always trying to help women, you know, I was always like gravitating towards these women that needed help because I was going to fix them, you know, it's like, why do some people do, can get past it and some yeah. people can't, right? And so, what I have come to the conclusion is that just having one person that sees you, that shows you a different way, you know what I mean? That that values you, that shows you you're important. Just one is so valuable and important because, believe it or not, there's some people that just never have that.
1: Absolutely. So, I
0: think for me, it was every small act of kindness, you know, whether it be from a stranger or a teacher. Um, Like my French teacher wrote me a few years ago, two, three years ago. And after 20 years, she still had stuff from high school. And, you know, she was, she was like, you were always so nice to me. I was so nice to her. because She was so nice to me. You know what I mean? I just so valued anyone that took the time with me. Um, I was so hungry for it. And so I think that that's why now like kindness, I value that above all else because I needed it so much. Seems like such a
1: simple thing, doesn't it? It feels like. It, it, should be, yeah. it should be such a simple thing that, that everyone should have kindness in their life. And yet it just it isn't does. there for so many people, especially when they're growing up and all the stuff yes. that they have to get through.
0: Where was I? I was at SeaWorld with my daughter and this little guy who is probably about four years old. There's this like, I'm at the cash register and I'm buying her this stuffed animal. And this right behind me is like this tower of coffee mugs. Right. <clears throat> and, um, the little four-year-old runs past and kind of hits one and it falls and it shatters. And everybody starts like scolding and oh my God, you know, and the poor kid. And my first thought was he must feel terrible. And sure enough, I looked down at him and he's just like, oh my God, because I remember that age and I remember how that feels, right? And so Mm -hmm. I just looked at him, I said, you know what? I said, I'm such, I've broken plenty of mugs. I said, it's okay they probably shouldn't have put the mugs there anyway. And it was so cool because mom saw me do that. And I think that she realized in that moment that she had been scolding him and his reaction. And then she softened up. She's like, yeah, it's okay, buddy. Don't worry about it. And then everyone else softened up. Yeah. I don't think, I really don't think it's that the intention is for them to inflict damage or make their kid feel terrible. I think it's just that they forget what it's like to be a child and have i've seen this over and over and probably just cuz i look for it but it's like when a child's in your way and the parent's like get out of her way you know what i mean and it's like i'm a stranger you'd rather be hateful to you care more about what i think yes yeah than about your child you know what i mean yeah
1: absolutely and i'm like it's no.
0: those little moments that may seem insignificant to us but as a child especially for me i was always a very sensitive child I'm still a sensitive person. And, um, I have, I have one child who's a lot like me in that way. He's very sensitive. He's very observant, picks up up on everything. And so I think it's just so important that we, we take a minute because it, it, let's just say like down the road, that child says to mom, you know, you made me feel terrible in the store. She's going to be like, what are you even talking about? She's not even going to remember it because it wasn't significant to her. Yeah, But he's going to remember a whole room of people looking at him like he just did the worst thing ever. Yeah. And that's going to leave a mark. Whether he remembers it or not, it's going to give him a little bit of shame. And I think that a little bit here and there, kids can kind of overcome, especially if, you know, mom comes later and says, Hey, you know, buddy, it wasn't that big of a deal. I probably shouldn't have yelled at you like that. I'll try to do better. And it doesn't happen often, but if that's happening all the time, we're constantly putting strangers above a coffee mug over the, yep. the, the, welfare, the soul of your child. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. I, I, but I don't,
0: yep. I don't think that people look at it that way.
1: No, and they don't.
0: So I, I don't think they're intending. I, I mean, I, I don't want to paint, even my, my parents, I don't want to paint them in a terrible light. I think it's just what they learned. And mm. that's why it's important that we go back and self-reflect and, and I think that sometimes we don't even recognize some of these behaviors as abnormal and everybody does them. So we think it's totally fine, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. But that's such an important one because, you know, we go through our lives kind of learning all these things. And then all of a sudden it's like, actually there's so many things to unlearn, you know, the, the way that yes. we've been spoken to. You know, we've been spoken to a certain way. So we spoke to our kids and they speak to their kids. And in actual fact, none of us should be doing that because we don't speak to anybody else in the world that way. Right. It's it's almost like we speak to the people who we love the most in the worst way, you know, it's and everybody else was super polite and very kind to it's right. just, yeah, it's, we get it's out of the, the best portion. of ourselves to strangers. <laughs> yeah. It makes no Absol- sense. right? No, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's exactly what is happening. And it's very odd, but I think we need to change that. I think that, you know, society is
0: just so every man for himself. And, you know, I, this is another one that I can't stand. Kids need their ass beat. Kids need a good whipping. I disagree. Like oh my gosh, at yeah. what age do you stop hitting a person when you're frustrated with them? Yeah. Like adults don't go around. You know what? You made me mad. Bang. You know, that's called, you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> so That's domestic violence. You don't do that. So why do we hit children? I, mm. That's just my personal take on it. And I'm not, there were a couple of times when my kids were really like toddlers and I swatted them on the butt with their little diaper on, like a little pat on the butt. And even that, I mean, i I would go back and do it differently. But I mean, I think that's one thing, but this whooping kids' butts, I mean, does it even work? I mean, I don't even know that it works. You know what I mean? I I just think, I think it's just not the way to go.
1: It stops them doing what they're doing maybe for five seconds. And then, and then all you've done is broken down your relationship because where's the trust, where's the love, where's the kindness, where's the understanding and the communication. I mean, if you can't communicate what, you want to tell a child and you just decide, well, I'm just gonna whack you instead. It's just, you know, doesn't make right. any sense. No. It
0: doesn't. And I don't feel the need to to hit my kids. I feel like, you know, if they do something wrong, then I can take the privilege away. We can talk about it. I mean, just usually just being disappointed in them is enough for them to feel but yeah. um but you know, also explaining to them like, Hey, I made these mistakes too. It's normal, it's fine, you know, like this important you don't do it again, but yeah, and here's why, but there's no need to shame them. I mean, I think if the relationship is there they're going to want to hear what you have to say, you know what I mean they're going to want they're going to want to please you. I think that innately kids do want to please their parents, you know, mm. I really do, yeah
1: yeah, when you've gone through everything that you went through, did you have a feeling like I mean, I think most of us do of shame in in what we've gone through in our lives, there is that feeling of shame. Did you feel that? And, and if you did, how did you overcome that? Because it's quite a hard one, isn't it? It is a hard
0: one. And I would say it was fairly recently in the past, you know, four years, I've been doing a lot of deep work. And I would say, it, I just really would say I've let it go in the last few years and it, it was excruciating. But um, I think that I had shame for, Different reasons. Um, You know, pretty quickly after I got out of the house, I got married. um, I dealt with the issues with my mom and my dad because I had an awareness of that, but I had no awareness of the sexual abuse until I was in my mid to late 30s. So that was a whole different ball of shame. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I don't know if that makes sense, but um, how did I get through it? Honestly, I would say. The biggest thing I would tell people to do, and this is going to sound crazy, but it's something that I just intuitively found while I was doing therapy session is I talk to my inner child. Yeah. It sounds strange, but it works. And it's, it's one of those things that every time I do it, I feel a little bit better about myself. And I think, again, it sounds strange, but it's one of those things, like a lot of things seem strange and then you try it and it works and you're like, wow, I can't believe that worked for me. So, um, the first time I stumbled upon it, I- I revisited a a past experience and I went in as the adult mother because we have different parts. Does that make sense? So like, there's part of us that is, is, you know, I'm work Jess here and I'm very like on and I know what I'm talking about at work and I'm professional. And then I have like with my friends. And then I have like with my husband, like you're different people with different, do you know what I'm saying? There are different aspects of your personality that come out at different times. Um, And so I would, I went back and I, I used that mother part of me because I'm fiercely protective of my children. I mean, that's something that, um, was just instinctual. I mean, I am so protective. And so I knew that I had that, that desire to protect them, to love them, um, to never let them be around the kind of things I was as a child, but yet I hated that little girl. That was me. And I remember telling the therapist, she's so awful. Why can't she just do better? what's wrong with her? And I'm just crying. And she's like, but don't you see, she's just a child. And I'm like, no, she's awful. She's just in the way. She's just, I still have that part of me that, that at that age, that was so deeply ingrained, I had to go back and revisit it with a new perspective. So it's kind of like whenever you go through an experience, let's say if you go through an experience as a five-year-old, okay you're going to interpret that a certain way. However, of course, as an adult, you have a whole different lens. So if you can bring that back to the same experience and rework, reintegrate the memory into a more positive, healthy, actually normal, you know, memory, um, you can, you can kind of like, it's just reintegrating it. It's, it's um, kind of putting it to rest. So now the root of the problem is taken care of as opposed to just using positive self-talk or something like I I think there's a time and place for that but there's always that little voice that says no that's not true you know what I'm saying
1: yeah and so you have you
0: have to really go back and so once I did that it took a lot because I still thought she was horrible after that I would just have times where I would just kind of go sit with her and and certain certain little things would come up, a memory of an event, and I would just kind of sit with her and like, well, how do you feel? And there's a there's a guy, he's a psychotherapist, I think his name is Steven Schwartz, maybe. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But um, he talks about a book called The Sum of Our Parts and how that's what he recommends that the different parts talk to one another, because we do sometimes separate them for whatever reason. And so I just sit and talk with her and I got to the point where I would even like, when she was scared, I would, I'd say, you know, I'm gonna protect you from the men tonight. Like when they come in, I'm gonna tell them they have to go, that's over. You can't hurt her anymore. She lives with me now and you'll never touch her again. And so it sounds weird, but it really is so effective. Wow. It's, it's just, and, and what I recently, I watched a um, trauma summit that I, I, lo- I watch a lot of these things because I find the brain, the human brain so fascinating. And they're calling it matrix imprinting. It's the same thing that I'm doing. It's called mm-hmm. matrix imprinting. But the brain believes that because you're actually like kind of experiencing it, experiencing that moment again, but in a safe way. Yeah. In a loving way. Now you have someone that witnessed it and, and I'm giving that motherly love that I would give to my child to myself. And so now when I, I used to ruminate, like if I said like, I'm sure I'm going to mess up today. You know, how many podcast interviews have I done? And I tend to kind of ramble all over the place, but you know what, that's me. And I love myself anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think there it's okay to, to make mistakes now, whereas before I would just go over it for like a week. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I'm no. so stupid. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And I also think that when we do that for ourselves, we're a lot better for other people because when we accept our shadow side, when we accept that, oh gosh, boy, I had that negative thought about somebody. We can be a lot more, and we love ourselves anyway. We can do that for other people a whole lot better. Our families, our our friends, our co-workers, our husbands, our, our children. You yeah. know what I mean? We don't, mm-hmm. we don't shame them and hate them when they have a negative thought because we're no longer repressing those parts of ourselves.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You know, we, we have come to yeah. accept it and love it and know that it comes from a place of Um, I was feeling that way at the time, but I've worked through it and it's okay. We can do that for other people.
1: And talking about the power of the brain. So you said that you didn't recognize the abuse until you were 37. Is that the brain putting those memories somewhere that you never get access to them? Is that what happens? Do you think?
0: So my understanding is that what happens when, especially the younger a child is, when the abuse occurs, the more likely, uh, because our development, our brain hasn't developed to that point yet where it's really forming. Something happened to you when you were a little tiny baby, let's say. you couldn't. Let's say you did remember it years later. How would you remember it? Would, you wouldn't remember it in language because
1: right. yes. you weren't able
0: to speak at the time. Mm-hmm. You would remember it in sensations and feelings, right? And so um, same thing. If you're four, you're going to re- remember it from a four-year-old's perspective because that's what you were at the time. And that's what gets imprinted. And so when a traumatic event happens, we have, we have a lot of things going on. We have fight, flight or freeze. We may fight, we may run away. And I had a lot of nightmares about trying to run away. And I believe I did try to run away from home as a child. Um, my mom would tell me the story about how I walked at the gas station. I was behind her and all of a sudden I was gone. And she said, oh. I just walked to the gas station by myself instead of following my mother. And I believe that was me trying to escape. I do. But yeah, it was always just, and I always wanted to run away. It was like, I just could, wanted to get away, you know, but when that didn't work, when you can't hide or run and you're so little and this big man, you freeze. And so it's like playing possum when the possum just real still, or we live in Florida, we have these little lizards and they'll just kind of freeze up and you know, hopefully you don't <laughs> notice me anymore. <laughs> and so um that's what you do. You freeze up. And so like for me, when the memories ha- recurred, I could remember the peripheral, but I could never remember the worst of it because by the time the worst of it happens, my brain just kind of protected me and it went offline. Okay. So the, con- mm. the conscious awareness part goes offline. And, and I even had, when I first started having memories, I had like some of the memories I was outside of my body looking at myself. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is crazy. I'm crazy. What's wrong with me? How could I possibly remember watching myself? But I learned later, that's totally normal. There's a part of the brain that makes you think you're outside of yourself and it's happening to someone else to protect you wow. to, so that you don't have to feel like it's happening to you. Yes. So it's called dissociation. So it's where your mind kind of checks out. It kind of is like somewhere else. It's kind of like um, when you're just like an autopilot. It's, yeah. it's kind of like that. So um, so basically I, I did, I would check out during the worst of it, but even though your brain checks out, your body remembers it all. And so when you're normally remembering an event, like let's say your mom makes this great chili and you smell it. And every time you smell it, it reminds you of home and you get that warm, fuzzy feeling in your chest and you just feel comfortable and happy. And um, most people can relate to something like that. Like they smell a smell and it reminds them of that time they went to the bonfire. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. these events mm-hmm. that happen and, and it's like a whole body feeling. Well, that's an integrated memory that you remember. With trauma, it doesn't get stored the right way. So the right side of the brain goes haywire. It really lights up and that's the emotional, that's the visual. And then the left side of the brain, which manages time and it manages language, it kind of shuts down. So you've got this overactive right, this left that's not working. So you're not integrating the memory properly Um, the cortisol level affects the hippocampus which is um, cortisol is your stress hormone and then your hippocampus is your memory center so when you Mm. have high levels of cortisol floating it will also decrease your memory center physically it shrinks up to 10 percent eight to ten percent and so and then the amygdala which is the the fight or flight the be on alert actually grows in size and so you, you end up kind of wired this anxiety and Always kind of looking for threat because it's actually grown in size so um, there are physiological changes that happen and your nervous system changes and so it's not just a memory like you recall it and it's it's an unpleasant thought it's a whole body sensation and so yeah. when things like that happen especially like when you don't have anybody to witness it or hear it or support it like there I told my mom, I said, you know, I took a bath with this guy. And she's like, Oh, okay. She thought it was normal. That was my way of trying to tell her. Yeah. But she didn't listen to me or hear me. And I don't know what if I said anything else or not, because I was too little to really remember. But I, I remember just coming to the conclusion, I, I was afraid one day we were playing. Um, I was playing with these boys, and they were chasing me around. I, I my mom was right there. And I thought, well, she's not going to do anything. Yeah, I, I came to that conclusion that no one was going to help me. And so what if everyone else is around you is denying it these adults you end up denying it to yourself Right. plus you're blocking it off while, while it's happening as self-protection so um i believe there are lots of women walking around that ha- will never address they, they'll have they'll have trouble with intimacy that was an issue i had um i could be totally comfortable this sounds crazy but i could be totally comfortable with like a one-night stand in high school, um, but with my husband, I felt so vulnerable and self-conscious. Right. I mean, to most people, that makes no sense, but now that I understand, it makes perfect sense because what happens is you kind of compartmentalize the sexual part. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't yep. to go. So mm-hmm. um, that intimacy, and so when someone gets too close to you and really sees you, that feels scary. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So,
0: I'm sorry. I I tend it's to too kind much. of go off on tangents.
1: No. No. I love the tangents. I'm learning a lot. Because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I'm excited. It, I, yeah. No. I, I'm I'm learning a lot um, speaking to you. But I was just thinking, when you had your own kids, did you when you were talking about the inner child, did any, did you sort of connect anything at that point having small children and realizing how vulnerable you know, they are and how innocent they are.
0: Yes. So I believe I had my first child at age 24 and I was over the moon elated. I, I didn't put him down for like five months. I was like holding him constantly. Oh, well. And, um, you know, I, it was just, he was like magic, but I ended up start. I had digestive problems and I, I started, I was breastfeeding, you know, and I, I just had a baby and it's my first baby and first time breastfeeding. So, um, I thought, well, my digestive problems are just probably, you know, normal because, you know, I've never had this happen before. You know, I'm, I haven't done this before. Maybe this is normal but they got worse and I would just bloat like a balloon. It's like, I couldn't even digest food. I would eat a bite of an apple and it felt like Thanksgiving dinner. And so no one could figure out what was wrong with me. I went to specialists. I had been working in healthcare forever. And so, you know, I thought I'm going to go right to the specialist. And I went to him and he was condescending and I can't find anything wrong with you. Went to the next one. Um, He did the scope on my stomach. He said, your stomach's inflamed, but I don't see, you know, I don't know why here's some medicine. Um, I ended up going to my family doctor last who I should have went to first and she worked with me and helped me and I ended up on a antidepressant of all things to help me with my digestion right. yes Serato- serotonin reuptake inhibitor it keeps the serotonin flowing in your gut. I believe that that was probably a byproduct of the trauma mm-hmm. having a child wanting to protect him. Um, also, you know, you have a baby and that's traumatic to your body. And now you have this baby on your breast, you know, and um, I just think that the whole thing, and then wanting to keep him safe and protect him. And, you know, it was like, he was born, I took him to daycare for two days, he got RSV. And I was like, never again, I'm never taking him to daycare. And I end up reworking my schedule to be home and um, work, you know, off hours on my husband. But um, I think that I had no I had no basis for what was wrong with me, but I think that my body felt back in that threatened stage again. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you ever go through like a really stressful time. It's like, you can't eat, like your body just won't tolerate food. You just, mm-hmm. it sounds disgusting. And I, I felt nausea all the time. And I think that that's probably, I still have dreams and I've had dreams through years of just protecting a baby. And after I had my, my uh, son, I had all these dreams of my little brother I had dreams that they were the same and I think it awakened those maternal feelings I had had for my brother, you know? Yeah. So I guess the point is that, um, you know, we, we sometimes our bodies are aware and our conscious awareness is not.
1: Yes. Yeah. What have you done for yourself to create more mindfulness and what sort of practices do you use to help yourself?
0: So yoga, Yoga, I think, is probably um, one of the best things a person can do because it gets you in your body, and when you're, you know, when you have to hold these poses, and you know, you're just with your body. It kind of silences the mind, and it creates this safe. I feel safe. I feel strong. I feel empowered. I feel calm because yoga is kind of smooth and calm. And they've found with studies that yoga is a better treatment for anti, for depression than than, um, antidepressants or anything. Yoga, time and time again, um, the research has shown. So yoga is really helpful, grounding in nature. If I'm really feeling out of it, I'll go spend a day or a few hours in nature, go put my feet in the grass, Um, touch the trees, Um, just really try to be present, listen to the the wind blow, go near the water, the beach, just being around water. But for me, that's like the closest thing to God in my opinion. Um, there were many nights I couldn't sleep, I'd have nightmares and I would just go outside and put my feet in the grass and just feel the, like, the chill in the air and um, listen to, try to listen to the, the birds and the sounds. So those things are really helpful. Um, journaling, so I interpret my dreams and that was something that I started doing because my dreams were so crazy and I was having these crazy nightmares, and then I was in therapy for a while. And I, st- I would kind of talk to her about these dreams, and I'm like, I'm having the same dream all the time. And so I started journaling. She's like, write, you know, write them down. And so I did, and they had so much wisdom in them because it's our it's subconscious. And so um, that's something I've continued to do, and it really helps me to kind of reflect on what's going on emotionally and where I need to continue to work. And then sometimes. I'll, I'll have a dream over and over. And then all of a sudden, I'll see it shift. Like when I've worked through it in real life, I'll work through it in my dream as well. Yeah. So like, for example, if I'm in a dream, and I'm, I'm being chased all the time, let's say, and then I've, I'm feeling like I'm running from something in life as I'm getting better in life. Maybe in uh, the next time I have the dream, I turn around and go, Oh, you know, who are you? Why are you chasing me? And I'm like, stop chasing me. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll empower myself in the dream. And it reflects Real life. So, um, and just journaling in general. Like, I think just getting your feelings out, um, releasing them, getting them kind of on paper. I think a lot of times people don't want to admit, again, because we're a society that shames people instead of, oh, you made a mistake. It's okay. We all do. We just kind of deny these parts of ourselves. Whereas if you just write freely, like with the automatic writing, where you just kind of let it go. Yeah. Let's say you don't want anyone to read it. You can throw it away. You don't have to keep it, but it's just a release. It's like, yes, it's like purging, you know? It's just, it separates you from the, the stuff. So it's not just yeah. bottled up, you know? So those are probably the biggest things. Um, and just trying to be more present. Like if I'm with my pets, I try to like really be pr- gratitude every day, to find something you're thankful for. Like at the end of the day, I started this thing, a lot of these things are just little things that I do, but they add up. Um, Mm. I used to beat myself up because I am, as you can tell, I'm a little ADHD and I'm kind of all over the place. And I think it kind of got worse during the trauma, the PTSD and trying to heal from that. And so I would just beat myself up because I wouldn't get as much done as I had hoped to get done. And so at the end of the day, I would think, oh, well you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you know, there's dust on the ceiling fan. And like, so I, I stopped doing that. I said, okay, every time I caught myself doing that, I would make it a point to, at the end of the day, <clears throat> one thing you did right today. And I would just sit there and I would come up with it. Okay, you, you drove the kids to school. Oh my God, you're an amazing mom. And you know, you didn't feel like it, but you got up, you took them to school. I mean, it could be something so simple. Um, or I might realize, like, I got more done than I thought. Like, you took the kids to the orthodontist, and you made the lunches, and you, you know, you called the friend and checked on her. Like, you, wow, you really did a lot. Like, just taking that time to, like, it's kind of like cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's, it's basically every time I started having that negative, you suck, you know, you're yeah. terrible, I would just force myself to go, nope, let's look at some of the good stuff. And over time, it just really made a difference. So it's something I still will do. But honestly, it gets to the point where you're so used to doing that. But now the negative talk doesn't come as often anyway.
1: You have to push it for a while. And then it just becomes more part of what you're doing.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And that's how we, we get better at anything, right? I mean, there's nothing mm. really that we can just, we don't walk in and, you know, just want to play the guitar, pick it up and play. I mean, it's a practice. We do it and we do it. And we do it and then finally one day we start to see the fruits of our labor. And then you know it gets a little easier and then you fine-tune it. So so I would say, you know, I'm at the like the stabilization. Like I'm pretty stable, but they still have some little things to work on. So but just trying to be present. Um sometimes like we're in the house and we're laughing and we're joking. And I just try to take it in. And I just try to like this is such a great moment because I think um Brene Brown, do you know who she is?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: she's so great but she talks about how like it's those little moments that that we miss you know down the road you don't miss like the great big disney vacation you miss the little moments where your kids were like crabby and you know you had that funny story at breakfast where somebody spilled the the cereal and the mess and like those are the moments you miss right like and so but for whatever reason we don't take the time to really appreciate it we think it has to be some big huge thing yeah. So, so I try to do that as well. I try to just take time to to just take it all in every so often.
1: Yeah. What's going good, right, you know? Yeah, yeah, such such good advice. That's such good advice. Um, do you have Thank a you. relationship with your parents these days?
0: Um, my mother, yes. I have a relationship with her. I've had to set boundaries. Um, I love my mother, but she can be a little bit, um, you know, things are not things were not great. So I had to kind of set limits and say, you know, this is what I'm willing to tolerate and I'm not willing to tolerate this. So we talk, but you know, it's limited. I mean, we talk on the phone. I love my mom. I just can't go to places with her. I think that's another thing. Once you kind of go through this process and you really reflect and go deep and it's hard to go superficial after that, yeah. you know, even with friends, with friends, or it's like, I want deep, meaningful, I want to know what lights your soul on fire, I don't want to talk about Same. who's yeah. dating who, and you know, it's like, yeah. I don't care about this, you know,
1: yeah.
0: it, I, I, and I understand, like, we're all at different places, it doesn't make them bad people, it's just, it doesn't resonate with me, and so I can't go there with my mother without her getting defensive, I think she tries, but she just doesn't know how. And I can't force her to do it. So I don't think we can heal anyone else. We can only heal ourselves. We can support another person, but we can't do the work for them. So I do have a relationship with her. I love her. Um, I try to appreciate the things that I can appreciate about her. Um, We've always bonded over music. That's wonderful. And so, you know, I I appreciate what I have to appreciate, but I I limit it. I limit it. Because she's very, um, just kind of, what's the word? Inconsistent with right. her mood mm-hmm. and her behavior. She's inconsistent. She's kind of all over the place. So I don't always know what I'm going to get. So I, I'm guarded with my mother, but I love her. But
1: Yeah.
0: And then my father, he, um, he died 2013. Is that right? I think it's 2013, February. Day before Valentine's Day, he. Um, this is hard to say. He killed a woman, and then he killed himself. So, wow. Um, that was hard. That was really hard. And um, luckily, you know, when I had children, I had gotten in touch with my half sister, his his daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. We have different mothers, and we had gotten back to her and I. I made the effort. I wanted to reach out to her. She. I looked on her Facebook. She seemed like a reasonable sweet girl. So um, I paid for her to fly to Chicago and stay the week with me. And we, you know, she's a great, she's a great girl. But um, as she was talking about my father, I realized he hadn't changed. You know, at first, you know, she's like, Oh, yeah, he's great. He's wonderful. He's the one that raised me. And so I'm thinking, Oh, maybe he found he I always thought if he changed, I would always welcome him. And but because she, she you know as we talked I saw more and more like he took her money and he bought women flowers with it that she was going to use it for drama class and um you know they lived on bologna sandwiches and he he dated his friend's wife and it was just like oh my god like he was just he never changed he was always just this living on the run taking advantage of people even her and um I kind of said to her I'm like you know it sounds like he's just as bad as he always was like and she's conflicted. She thinks that he's, she's still like, will post about how much she misses him and stuff and on Facebook or, and I support her, but I, I don't feel the same way. And so it's kind of, I have to allow her to feel whatever she feels. But um, I, I just see a, a man who is mentally ill, you know, but I never thought that he would go that low. But I think because he did, like after he died and I was dealing with my stuff, I was able to see the terrible things that he did to me in childhood that I had blocked out. And I think that I had to believe as a child that he loved me, but I I didn't wanna see the bad stuff. I didn't wanna see that um, you know he allowed people to victimize me. I didn't want to see that um, because that would have crushed my hope as a child. So I just kind of shoved that under the rug and um, compartmentalized that into a different part of my, but after he did what he did, um, at first I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because I thought, you know, I'm related to this man. What does that say about me? I'm a horrible person to be related to this man. And I just felt so guilty and so shameful. So I went through that and then I think I was in shock at first. And then I went through the guilt and then two weeks later, I felt immense love for him. And then I'm like, oh, my God, you're a horrible person for, for remembering all the love that you had for him. Like, how can you love such a monster? I mean, I just went through all these feel. And finally, I realized, like, yes, there was a part of me that loved him. But I still, that was a long time ago. And as an adult, like when my sister came around, I realized he was bad. And I told him, I don't want you in my life. Like, I have children. I've made a better life. Like, I have a nice husband. I have a nice career, a nice home and I don't want you near it like you're not any different I've given you a chance you continue to lie you continue to cheat you continue to steal just because I'm having a relationship Chelsea your daughter does not mean I want to have anything to do with you do not come here do not call me we're done and um, I think it took having kids too to really say I don't want him anywhere near my children yeah but when he died you know my sister called and told me and I was still really shocked and, and I had to process all these feelings. And so I think it's really hard. People have a tendency and I am so the opposite. I've always been this way, but I, I, I I don't really understand it, but I, I, I grasp the concept. They're black and white thinkers. So they're like, I either love this person or I hate this person. And they, they don't know how to marry the two feelings. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I both love him. Like I can tap into that feeling of loving him. And I also despise him. I mean, he was grotesque, but at the same time, he was once a little boy that was in that situation. So it's complicated. You know what I mean? But so I think complicated, that's okay. Isn't it? It's mm. okay. It's okay. And I think that that's where I want to like give women permission. It's okay. One minute to think I hate my dad and the next minute to think I loved my dad and, and then to feel guilty about it. And like, Just let your feelings come, make peace with them. And they can actually coexist. Like once you understand that, like that's normal because, you know, we process and store these things. And at the time that I processed some of the good memories, that's what I felt. And so that's true. But then later when I experienced these other things, that's also true. It it doesn't have to be either or, you know? Yeah. And I think when we can blend it and realize that that's part of the human experience, sometimes it's going to be contrasting. And, and, and that's balance, you know, we have to accept all of it, not just the parts that are pretty or the parts that we deem acceptable by society. Um, that's when real growth and coming home, you know, when you realize that you can do that. And it's just, I, it's liberating. As I've, I'm very open about my experience, um, as I've gotten to know people and talk to them, they share with me some crazy stuff, you know, for a while. And I think I shared this with you. I mean, for a while you think, God, I, I I feel like I don't even want to tell anybody about this. They're going to think I'm like a Jerry Springer person, you know, like, you know who Jerry Springer is. he this horrible talk show and I can't stand it. Like it's all these dysfunctional people just doing crazy things. But I feel like that's where I grew up, but I never wanted to be there. And I, I couldn't wait to get out. And so I think that when we carry the shame that, oh, well, we're part of them. So we, we have to, feel the same we don't we don't we can liberate ourselves we can free ourselves but it's okay to have all the feelings you know it's all part of it but when you pick and choose you're denying a part of yourself and so you're kind of at war with yourself
1: do you know what i mean so true yeah that's really true isn't it yeah because it's all yeah, all it's of it's just, just part of the truth right it's all part of the truth and it's just right. accepting all those parts yeah
0: right but it's hard work and it it, it it's confusing. But I think the big thing is like, I would tell anyone is that let your intuition guide you. But I think so many of us, we get like when I was little and I knew it was wrong. And I tried to tell in my own verbal way, you know, he's taking a bath with me and no one listens to you. You learn to doubt yourself. You learn mm-hmm. that um, what you think is wrong. You learn that, you know, Oh, you're, you're constantly, am I crazy? Am I? No, you're not. It's just that you've been taught to do that and so if you can learn to like when I really got into therapy and started seeing like a lot of these things that I remembered and thought and were accurate because I could validate them through pictures or calling a family member it was like I know what I'm talking about like I remember it all and then more started to come up because I started I wasn't fighting it anymore I wasn't saying you're dumb stop thinking that that's wrong and are you sure and it was like okay I think this might be something let's kind of take this puzzle piece and look at it and we'll put it away. And, uh, you know, it is part of the puzzle and we'll just let it sit here. And then slowly more would come up as I learned to trust myself. And so at first, every time I would have a thought or a feeling or a a part of a memory, I thought you're crazy, you know, I'm pushing it down. But then once I started just letting it come up, it just, it started to flow. Right. And so, you know, when you're keeping parts of yourself from yourself, how can you really be a healthy person? You know?
1: Yeah. That's where the illness comes from, I'm sure.
0: And I think what we have, like we have a mental health crisis. Yeah. It's a mental health crisis. It's, everyone's just angry and frustrated and they need an outlet. And I mean, I just think that um, there's so much dysfunction. You know, it's every man for himself when we've lost the community and we've lost, you know, kids should be seen and not heard. And I think that's just ridiculous. And, you know, kids are taught to respect their parents, but we're not taught to respect children.
1: Um, So you mentioned those couple of things, but what do you think you brought to your kids' lives, you know, from your experiences that you wanted to really change for them?
0: So um, I work in healthcare. So I've been doing physical therapy since 2001. And um, I've worked in like long-term care and hospitals, you know, I'm a natural caregiver. And so pretty early on, I taught, I said all the words, you know, vagina, penis, like I just said the words, like, and I think like my husband was kind of like, oh, dear God, but it was like, no, they're gonna know, you know, or if they come home and ask me a question, like my daughter was five. She goes, how do babies come out? I told her they to come out. <laughs> because, and here's why, um, I, when I was little and I, would, I didn't know, I didn't know. And so sometimes you're afraid to ask, you know, when you're, you're living in shame and you do not wanna be a bother, you're not gonna ask. And so you end up being wrong or you end up coming up with something way worse than what's actually true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so I really wanted to um, always not beat around the bush. Now, of course, you want to keep it age appropriate. But I think that um, just being honest with them, you know, yes. they asked me an uncomfortable question. But I think also being in healthcare kind of helped me with that because you do have to deal with a lot of, um, you know, you're dealing with body parts and you're, you know, you kind of get numb to that. And um, it doesn't like, it's not taboo anymore you know what i mean it's just everybody's you know um also admitting when i was wrong like if i when they were little and they i had three and four years there were times i blew up and yelled and i'm not proud of it and I, I do a lot better now i don't really need to do that but there were times i messed up and i i talked to them about that now i'm like i'm sorry that i did that you know I was. there's no excuse but i was stressed and um, mom sorry you know yeah i think and also by you admitting when you're wrong, as opposed to I'm the adult, because I say so, they're going to be able to admit when they're wrong, because they're going to see that that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay that, you know, mom made a mistake, and she said she was sorry, and she tried to do better. And that's the thing. You can't just say you're sorry. You have to try to do better. But um, I think for them, that's an example for them. So that's been helpful. And also just letting them know that no matter what, I'm always there for them. You know, I will always protect them. Um, I've taught them to trust their gut because that's something that I've always had that gut feeling. Like if I, somebody's bad in my life or whatever, I, it's very like on for me. Um, it's just a really normal thing for people that have grown up like, like, like I have. So, but I didn't always listen to it. Yeah. Sometimes I would kind of like, oh no, this person's, you know, give them a chance. I don't do that. Like now it's like, if I get that disturbing feeling, I'm out. And so I've taught them that as well. And, you know, I told them from like early on when the friends started coming over and stuff, I'm like, if I don't like the parents, if I get that feeling, you know, those the, the, they call it the spidey sense. If mom gets the spidey sense, don't even ask because, but it's funny because usually I'll tell them and then like months later they'll go, oh, hey, so-and-so's dad's a drunk. And I'm like, no, there you go. You know, like <laughs> I can always kind of pick up, <laughs> or you know, something like something happened that you're like yep okay and, and they realize like mom's right like mom knows so now they they don't question they're just like yep if mom says it it's probably true so so just letting them know they have that they can do that and also it's okay to not go with the crowd to have you know you can I said if you're in a room with 20 people and they're all saying this is it you know this is great and what we're going to do is fantastic and you're getting a bad feeling about it don't do it yeah listen to that intuition because it happens. I mean, sometimes you're like, am I the only sane one here? Like everybody says it's okay. It must be okay. It's not always okay. So
1: maybe um, half, half of those people think it's not okay either, but, um, no one's actually going to say it.
0: Right. That's so true. That's so true. Yep. That's exactly true. They actually had an incident at school where they were, um, I don't know, some of the kids wanted to do something and people didn't want to do it, but they were kind of going along with it. And my son and his girlfriend they ended up for like no we're not going to do that and and then all the other kids came along like you just said and we're like yeah you know what we're not into that either so so yeah i think um just and, and i think if they have good self-esteem they're going to be a lot less likely to do that
1: mm-hmm. yeah. if they
0: have no one let's say they, a child like for me if i have no one that sees me or cares about me and i go out with this let's say that the friends aren't good great people let's say like you think about games you know when people get caught up in games if that's the only place they feel special and good they're going to do it because they don't to be socially ostracized we're social creatures we have to be social so we have to have that it's like a uh, it's a need it's not a one we have to have a tribe and so if the only tribe we can get is going along with something terrible we'll do it I mean yeah it's just it's human nature so I think that's the big thing to realize about your children is if you end up in this battle with them, me versus them, and they're going to do what I say, and I'm the parent, and, um, or you ignore them, neglect them, you know, you're you out with your friends at the bar, or, um, you, know, you only meet their needs, but you're not really there for them, they're going to find somebody that is. They're going to find Absolutely. somebody that makes them feel good, makes them feel special because they don't have it in here. Yes. But if you give them that base, if they know, like, one thing I told my kids is like, I I don't want you to be a perfectionist. You don't have to get straight A's. I will never push that. Do the best you can do. If you're doing the best you can do, I'm happy. Um, I don't, I will love you even if you fail. Yes. You do not have to succeed for me to love you. I'm going to love you no matter what. Of course I want you to succeed. But my love does not depend on it
1: yeah and that's it's so important that they know those things isn't it because there's so much pressure on kids now you know to get amazing marks and it's so in in the scale of life who cares really i mean it's like (laughs) so not important i know so not important. how
0: many people the perfectionists they're like drive 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 themselves to perfection and they finally get there and then they look around and go i'm miserable yeah. Like I want them yeah. to, I say I want you to be able to support yourselves. Yes, you can't just sit on my couch and like live for the rest of your life, but just be able to support yourself. Just do a good job. It doesn't have to be perfect, you know.
1: So tell me about the Get Better Place. This is this is your new business that you're starting.
0: Yeah. So um, the idea is that having gone through what I've gone through, I was so shocked that I could have had all these memories that I had blocked for all these years and when I tried to find information on it, first of all, you got a lot of, you know, repressed memories aren't real. And I don't even want to, I don't even pay attention to that stuff because I can understand how a lot of people would think, how is this possible? This is, this is hogwash. If you haven't experienced it, um, I can understand how you might think that. Having gone through it, validating everything, it's like, I I don't even listen to those people because I know they're just not informed. Um, But I know that there are women out there that will. That will listen to that yeah. and it may bother them you know and they may go oh god i'm crazy because that's the thing you feel crazy and um, you're absolutely not crazy i was not crazy and that's what i came to learn that my intuition was right on the money every time i mean and i have a journals like i would tell my husband like i'm having this dream and i'm having this little piece of the puzzle and i'm kind of getting the feeling of this and then i would validate it within you know weeks or months or so I think we're just so used to not listening to ourselves that, that that's what happened. So my goal is to like let women know like they're not crazy. Um, there were a few women that had written memoirs that I read and it was like, oh my God, thank God, somebody has been through this because there's all these little nuances that, you know, the therapist was great, but unless someone's gone through it, they don't know all the little things. I think that the thing that really helps us to get better is to know we're not alone, to know that someone understands and who understands better than someone that's been through it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think I have so many goals. I mean, I really want to just, first of all, I want to help women. I want them. I want to educate. I want to inspire, but I also don't want to, yes, it's horrible stuff. Yes. It's, it's, it's not pretty. And a lot of people don't want to hear anything about sexual abuse. However, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I don't have any shame because it was never mine to begin with anymore. So I can talk about it. And I know that's that's a really hard thing for a lot of women. And so I just kind of want to like kind of pay it forward. All the women that did it before me, even though I couldn't find that many, I valued them. I mean, they're like my heroes. And so like, I want to be that next generation that says, hey, you know, let go of the shame, listen to your intuition, come home to yourself silence the inner critic, stop beating yourself up. Um, and if you can't do it, you know, for me, it's like, am I being selfish by doing that? Actually, you're not. When you when you do it for yourself, you can love everyone else around you that much better. So yeah. Um, so if you, you know, if you have to, to get started, if you have to think I'm doing this for my family and relationships, then do it that way. And so you kind of learn to do it for yourself. So the whole point of starting it was to start, it's kind of like in physical, I was liken it to this. So like in physical therapy, when patients come to me, explain what this is the process, you know, here's, here's all of the things that you might be going through and it's all okay. And just kind of give that reassurance. And, um, I also want it to be happy and light and it doesn't have to be heavy all the time. And some people can't even deal with any of this until they feel safe in their bodies or they learn in therapy. The first thing I learned was to calm my body. So to have a safe space in my um, mind. So for me, it was the beach and I would just sit and think of the beach and my whole body felt relaxed. And I just, I did that over and over and over. That way, when I got too distressed, I could, I kind of like condition myself to come back to that place and that state of mind. And so I think there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, And so I would like to have a community where women can talk about this in a safe space, you know, where it's like minded women like yourself, you know, and um, some of the other women that we've met that um, they are trauma informed and no one's going to say anything. You know, get over it already. No one's going to do that. It's going to be all be kind and caring and understanding and supportive and also fun. You know, I want to do yeah. maybe eventually do retreats or something and um, just have fun, you know, workshops and, you know, teach them how to interpret their dreams if they're interested or, you know, just little everyday things they can do. Like I have a happy 10 songs, you know, happy playlists that I play. So if I'm really feeling terrible, I can put it on and it'll change my mood. So just all these little things that they can do. And that's, that's kind of my goal. So
1: it sounds so wonderful. I absolutely love that. Um, So where can people find you? Um, So on Instagram, it's at the get better place
0: um, website, www.getbetterplace.com. And on Facebook, I have a group called the get better place.
1: Awesome. Well, Jessica, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your story today. You are such a strong and amazing woman with everything that you've been through. And to look at your life now, I just, I feel like so many people wouldn't have made it through what you've been through. And you've been so strong in everything that you've managed to bring into your life to get yourself over and through all of those things. And um, we've just loved hearing your story so thank you so much for sharing it
0: thank you don i appreciate it and i so i'm so thankful for what you're doing because ultimately wouldn't it be great if women never had to heal
1: but we just took
0: care of you know we just had we gave children what they needed from the get-go and so the healing didn't even need to happen you know i mean that's that's the ultimate right there that's
1: so that's the dream yeah absolutely thank you so much What an amazing person Jessica is. She had so much to deal with as a small child and beyond and she has spent her life dealing with those things, figuring them out and trying to resolve them in her mind and she has come to a point where she says, I feel no shame and it was never mine in the first place and how powerful and amazing is that. She is so strong and I know that many of us can struggle with these things for a lifetime and it's so amazing to see somebody like Jessica who's worked her way through it and she's moving on with her life and she's not holding on to those things. She has an amazing husband and three kids and she's living her best life and I feel so honoured to have heard Jessica's story today. Here are the takeaways. Number one, childhood trauma can lead to many, many issues, including a lack of self-worth and looking for love and acceptance in the wrong places because we will all find connection where we can. So if your child doesn't find love and acceptance in your family, they will find it elsewhere. Number two, it's normal to make mistakes. Allow your kids to make a mistake, apologize, learn from it and move on. Number three, let go of shame. It was never yours in the first place. Number four, we all need one person to value us. If we can't do that for our child, make sure there are other mentors there for them. Number five, remember what it's like to be a child. They are still learning and they are not perfect. Number six, talk to your child better than anyone else in your life. Number seven, check in with your inner child every day to allow healing from trauma. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at mybigloveproject and please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious, and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.